You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Hey everyone, hope that you're having a fantastic week. We are in part two of our series, The Worship Playlist. What we're doing in this series is we're looking at song lyrics and we're looking at scriptures that inspire those songs and we're trying to pull applicable lessons out of them for us today. Last week we looked at a song called Sinking Deep by Hillsong United. And uh, one of the things that we talked about is that we serve a God who pursues us, that we serve a God who's not just sitting off in heaven waiting for us to approach him, but we serve a God who comes to us, who comes looking for us. From the very beginning, even in the story of Adam and Eve, from the very first time that humanity sins, God comes to the garden looking for his children. And that is still true today, that God comes to us, that Jesus came to us and lived a life among us instead of being a God who waited for us to come to him. This week... We're going to be looking at a song called Running in Circles by United Pursuit. And uh, it's an unbelievable song. And what we're going to do is on Spotify, um, you can look at our Instagram handle. And there's a link in our Instagram bio. And it'll just say the playlist. And on Spotify, we're we're building a a playlist of the six songs that we're going to walk through here in this series. So you can check out Running in Circles uh, starting right now. Go check out the link in our Instagram bio. But let's start right off the top and look at the phrase, I'm so forgetful, but you always remind me you're the only one who brings me peace. I'm so forgetful, but you always remind me you're the only one who brings me peace. So what is peace? A couple definitions just to give ourselves a baseline. First of all, the Oxford Dictionary would define it as freedom from disturbance or tranquility. So freedom from disturbance or just the simple idea of tranquility. Tranquility equals peace. But biblical peace... It's more than just the absence of conflict or a state of rest. It means completeness or wholeness, and it points to the presence of something else. That something else absolutely being Jesus. So the first question this week, what are we trying to find peace through? Every single one of us is in a different place today, but each one of us is also trying to find that which completes us in something. Like what is the something that that we're looking for that is trying to, that we're trying to get to complete us. Is it, is it our job? Is it our school? Is it a significant other? Uh, Larissa, if you're listening to this, Larissa's my wife. Like, Don't get offended by this. But, but marriage doesn't make life easier. It makes life better, but it doesn't make life easier. And people always look for a significant other. And they're like, they're going to complete me. No, they're going to they're gonna make you more holy. There's, there's that phrase. It's like marriage isn't created to make you whole. It's created to make you holy. See, I can complete more as I do life with an amazing wife that I have, but it also adds complication because it's a human relationship and relationships make things complicated. So if you believe that finding a significant other is going to make your life just easier or complete, you're kidding yourself. If you think that getting that job that you want is going to make you complete or bring wholeness or fulfillment, it might help, but it's not going to bring wholeness and completeness. If you think that that going to the right school or or getting into that, that... uh, school that you're you're so desperately wanting to be in is going to create wholeness and completeness in your life. You're wrong. The only thing that can pre- can bring true wholeness and completeness is Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only thing that is going to be an eternal answer for our temporary problems. Everything else that we're looking for, if it, the things that we say, if only I had this, life would be good. Those things are all temporary, but Jesus is eternal. See, the song lyrics themselves point to such a commonality in us. It says we're so forgetful, 
but Jesus reminds us. And how does he remind us? Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, him being Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Shed on the cross. So through the cross. That's how Jesus reminds us. You're the only one that can remind me. I'm so forgetful, and you remind me through the cross. While there's no denying the fact that Jesus will provide specific reminders throughout our lives for specific situations, there is one constant reminder, and that constant reminder is the cross. Jesus will step into our individual circumstance, and he'll remind us in unique ways that that are unique to us, that are unique to our situations, but there's one thing that we can always look back to. So if we're frustrated because we don't feel like Jesus is speaking to us, Let's look at the cross and say, no, you spoke to us loud and clear when you hung on a cross and you died for our salvation. See, the death and resurrection of Jesus creates peace, an opportunity for wholeness. And if we can use the death and resurrection of Jesus as our lens, we will be looking for eternal peace, not worldly peace. Here's the thing. Worldly peace would have us desperately seeking after a life that is free of turbulence that is this free of conflict, that is free of pain. But eternal peace is the ability to lock our eyes on Jesus when the turbulence comes. That we would say, no, life is hard. Life is difficult. Things are going to come up. But I want to focus on Jesus. And that leads us into the pre-chorus and chorus of the song. It says, I want to tell you I love you. I want to tell you that I need you to tell you that there's no better place for me than in your arms to tell you I'm sorry for running in circles, for placing my focus on the waves, not on your face. This whole song is inspired by a story out of the the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. It's the story of Jesus walking on water. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed the crowd, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance, considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the, deci- when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. Next question this week. What are your waves? What are your waves? Unquestionably, we all have stuff that is happening in our lives right now. Things that are drawing our focus to them. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are straight up stressful. They can be in our jobs. They can be in our relationships. But they're things that are requiring much of us. Things that are drawing our attention to them. 
And our lives can so easily be consumed in specific seasons by those things that draw our attention away from Jesus. And what we focus on is we focus on the waves that are being made around us. We, we focus on the waves that we're making ourselves, the, the, the waves that are, that are drawing our attention away from the most important thing and that most important thing being Jesus. And it's so easy to find ourselves in those spots. I have an eight-year-old son named Maddox, and he is absolutely fantastic. But he's eight, and perception and and life and all those things are hard. They're hard for an eight-year-old. And the other day we were having a conversation. He was just super upset at the end of the day. I had had a really stressful day. He had had a really stressful day, and he was kind of having a conniption fit at the end of his day. And I said, man, what's going on? Like, what are you doing? Like, I, I was frustrated. I needed him to explain to me. I wanted him to have an adult conversation with me, even though he just turned eight. And he he just starts listing all of the things like from the very beginning of his day, he's like, I got to school. I didn't like the breakfast. Then this kid didn't talk to me the way I wanted him to talk to me. These kids ignored me. I had a substitute teacher. She's kind of mean to me. All these, and he just bang, bang, bang. I was like, well, dude, did anything good happen today? Did anything good happen today? He's like, well, yeah. And he starts talking about the one thing that he thought was good from his day. But immediately he's like, but, and with a caveat of, but then this happened and he goes straight back in to negativity that all he could look on all he could see was the waves that were present in his life. We talked through it. We got him to bed. And, and not 10 minutes later, I'm having a conversation with Larissa. And we're having a, like, a conversation about how our days went. And all I can talk about is the waves. All I can talk about is the things that were frustrating, the things that were stressful, the things that were taking so much of my attention to, the things that I didn't want to deal with, the things that I wanted to deal with I didn't get to give attention to. And I just stopped. And I was like, man, I am eight. I'm, I'm eight years old. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a child when it comes to being able to focus on my creator that uh, I'm a child when it comes to being able to focus on what Jesus is doing in my life and the good things that he's presenting in my life. But all I can do is see what's going on around me and the things that are drawing my attention away from Jesus. So we have to be able to hold these two things in tension, that life is turbulent and Jesus is not life is turbulent. Jesus is steady. It's not one or the other. It's both and. It's not life is turbulent when Jesus isn't paying attention to me. And it's not, well, life is steady when Jesus is because Jesus is steady and Jesus is paying attention to us. And the fact of the matter is that life is difficult. Life is hard. Human beings create a hard life. But Jesus is always there. Jesus is always out in front of us, ready for us to lock eyes with him and say, no, I'm going to focus on you no matter what is going on around me. See, we cannot be people who expect smooth sailing all the time, and we can't be people who are consumed or destroyed by what life brings. Jesus is always the answer to being our steadying force. Move forward in trust. Focus on Jesus. So, how do we focus on the face of Jesus? We pray. And I know that feels like a, a cheap answer, but simply put, a life without prayer is a life without Jesus. You cannot maintain a conversation with someone, or you cannot maintain a relationship relationship with someone without conversation. You cannot be in relationship if you don't talk to somebody. It's not possible. You've got to communicate. You've got to listen. You've got to do those things. So a life without prayer is a life without Jesus. Secondly, you need to expect. So we pray, we expect, we expect. Stop buying into the lie that Jesus can't live up to holy expectations. Now hear me. Holy expectations. Holy expectations, not personal expectations. Holy expectations are from a pure heart where we truly believe that the things that we have expected of God will further the kingdom of God, that is 
not just what is going to be good for us, but is going to be good for the people around us. Holy expectations. Because here's the thing. If things come from a pure heart, there is never an expectation that is too big for God. He is God. He created the entire universe. He created you and I. There's no expectation that is too big from God. We just have to make sure that those expectations are coming from the right place because we are formed in his image. He isn't formed in ours. We are formed in his image. He isn't formed in ours. So our expectations need to come from a pure heart. So we pray, we expect, and then we accept. Accept. God isn't making our lives hard. We are. Accept the fact that his intentions, his guardrails, the, the things that he has called us to are for our own human flourishing. That, that God is not trying to create a hard life for us and put all these these stipulations and, and make it so, oh, you can't do that and you're not allowed to do that and all those things. No, he is has our best intentions in mind. If we can accept the fact that he is is always for us that he is always intent on our own human flourishing we will we will be able to focus on the face of jesus then we combat so we pray we expect we accept and then we combat fight the desire to wallow or live in self-pity now hear me i am not saying to discount your battles your battles my battles they're hard life is difficult but we have to fight against the idea that we 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 need to, to drown ourselves in self-pity and just constantly be, be so upset that battles are hard because Jesus has already won. And in that, that means that we have already won as well. If we can combat the desire to wallow in self-pity, we will find ourselves able to focus on the face of Jesus. And then lastly, we need to emulate. We need to model ourselves after those who have gone before us. We need to model ourselves after those that are doing it better than us right now. We need community. We, we have to understand that community is so desperately important. We need to find role models. We need to find people to speak to. That we need to find people to speak into our lives. Those that are out in front of us. Those that are doing things that, that, are, that are things that we want to do. Things that are a part. People that are a part of generations that are you know, way ahead of us or people that are just in our peer group that are a little bit further ahead of us, we need to emulate ourselves after those people. That if there are people who are married whose marriage you want, emulate them. Model yourself after them. Ask them, how. What, what are the keys to a successful marriage? If you see parents that you want to be a parent like, do the same thing. If you see people who are following Jesus in a really incredible way, ask them how they do it. Ask them their, their spiritual practices, all those things. You see, so often we'll say, I don't know if that's possible. Well, obviously it's possible because people are doing it right now. So let's go emulate ourselves after them. So pray, expect, accept, com combat, and emulate. And if you look at the first letter of all those things, this is straight out of the uh, pastor's handbook, straight out of the early 2000s pastor's handbook, is that the first letter always, or all those first letters add up to spelling the word peace. That's how we find peace. Pray, expect, accept, combat, emulate. Next question. What are your circles? What are our circles? What are the things that we keep falling back into? The things that we cannot seem to be untethered from? Those things that each one of us are thinking about right now when we when we think about the things that we can't seem to get untethered from, the things that we keep falling back into, those unquestionably stem from a lack of surrender on our part. We so desperately want to handle them on our own and we don't want to give them to God. But what we have to understand is that we can only walk in one direction. You can only walk in one direction. You can either walk in the direction that Jesus is asking you to walk, or you can walk in the direction that you want to walk in. And we get to decide, as, as we're following Jesus, if we want it to be a straight line, 
or if we want it to be really, really convoluted and really, really difficult. Those are decisions that fall on us. Obviously, there's going to be obstacles that we have to walk around. There's going to be things that we have to, to bust through. There's things that we have to climb over. There's, there's all those things. But do we want our journey with Jesus to be a straight line or we do, do we want it to be kind of like curly cues or do we want it to be a circle? Because so many of us are so stuck that our walk is just a circle and we are making no progress. We keep getting stuck in the same things. See, John chapter 3, verse 30 actually gives us a really simple way to follow Jesus. It just says, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. God's got to become greater in our lives. If we allow God to be the, the, the primary in our life, we will find ourselves walking a straight line. If we take our own selfishness and we take our own self-desires and we, we, we quelch those, we, we, we dampen those down and we say, no, this isn't the thing that I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus on Jesus and what he wants for my life. We're going to find ourselves walking a straighter path. We have to allow more direction from Jesus and get out of our own way. And I get that that is easier said than done. Surrender is difficult and it's even more difficult when we don't fully understand what it is that we're surrendering. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, a lot of us have heard this verse. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Most of us have heard that verse, and it's true, and it's holy, and it's amazing, and it can be really confusing. And here's why. It's hard to give of ourselves if we don't really understand ourselves. I'm currently reading a book called After Doubt. Uh, the tagline is how to question your faith without losing it. It's by an incredible theologian and, and guy um, named AJ Swoboda. And it's just, it's fantastic. And I'm only about halfway through it. But as I was studying this, I came across some of the, the things that he's talking about. He's the whole premise of the book is he's talking about deconstruction. He's talking about people who are deconstructing their faith and that you have to be able to do it correctly. And one of the correct ways that, that you can do it is by understanding yourself that we've we've bought into the lies of society, especially as Christians, that that we can't spend any time looking at ourselves. That 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 is just self obsession, and there is definitely a line. Like you can definitely become self obsessed, but what he's saying is that it's really really hard for us to understand Jesus if we don't understand ourselves. One of the things that he says is for Christians, pursuing knowledge of God is standard fare. The Christian should seek God, growing a knowledge of his character. We do this part well, but rarer are Christians who passionately pursue a working knowledge of themselves. It is often only after a personal crisis, failure, or loss of meaning that we begin the journey inward to learn about ourselves. But what if knowledge of the self was not an enemy of the knowledge of God? What if knowledge of our whole selves was part of our knowledge of the holy? And then he goes on to say, we can't know how to love God with our mind and our strength until we understand what our mind and our strength actually are. A lack of self-knowledge can construct false barriers between us and God. You see, understanding ourselves will lead to us being more able to surrender because then we actually understand what it is that we're surrendering. All of it, our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength, but but not just in generalities, not just saying like, oh, Lord, here's my heart, but saying, Lord, Lord here's every part of my heart. Here's the parts that I've been holding on for years. Here's the parts that, that are hardened towards you. Here's the parts like we have to be able to understand ourselves. When we think about our strength, we don't just say, oh, look, here's my strength and, and I don't really know what that means, but say, no, here's 
the things that you have gifted me with that I am strong in, the things that I am doing well in, but I want to surrender those things to you. Here's my mind. Here's, here's these things that I've been thinking about. We have to understand that we have to understand ourselves, and if we understand ourselves, we'll, we'll understand our circles, we'll understand our addictions, we'll understand our habits, our broken relationships. We cannot just be people who identify the what, and I think that this is a big thing that so many of us, as we think about our circles, as we think about the things that we keep getting stuck in, we can identify the what, we can identify our addictions, we can identify our broken relationships. The what is easy to identify, the why is difficult. Because the why leads us to having to have some real hard introspection that we'd say, oh, I'm addicted to these things, but why am I addicted to those things? What are the triggers? What is bringing me back to those things? Not just I have an addiction, but this is why I have an addiction. Because if we can deal with the why, if we can surrender the why, if we can surrender the things that lead us to the addiction, if we can surrender the why that leads us to breaking relationships, if we can surrender the why, we'll find ourselves in a really healthy place. So whether it's through self-study, whether it's through counseling, whether it's through relationships and grabbing coffee with people and allowing people to speak in your lives and using them as a sounding board, we have to put in some work to figure out not just the what, but the why. And when we can figure out those things, surrender comes all the more easily. And we can identify our circles and we can get out of those circles because I know that if you're like me, you so desperately want to get out of the circle. I want to end by looking again at one last sentence from the song and then just read some scripture over you. We already said it, but it says, there's no better place for me in your arms. There's no better place for me in your arms. The reason that there's no better place for us than in the arms of Jesus is because Jesus knows us at our inmost being. Psalm chapter 139 is something that about a year ago at our, our last summer retreat, we, we walked through and then we kind of walked through it a couple times in the following months and I want to read this over you. So if you have the ability to uh, close your eyes, if you're driving, do not close your eyes. But if you have the ability to stop and just, just be present for 25 seconds here, I just want to read this over you. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness not, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is a light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.